Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Coffee Chug. Hey, I wanted to give just a little, quick little intro here before you listen to this incredible podcast. Something that's happened, um, obviously we are quarantined, we're home, we're spending lots of time family bonding and I think discovering that what we're capable of um, and not needing to be distracted all the time. But through that, I've been decluttering my computer, and something that happened was I recorded a series of podcasts back in the fall of 2019, as well as a few episodes even before then, um, at the beginning of 2019. Long story short, the folder disappeared from my computer, and I lost all these episodes. Well, through decluttering and having time to kind of clean up my machines, I found the folder. And in that folder, I have these wonderful gems. In this particular episode, we're going to be speaking with the marvelous Dr. Barbara Bray as we explore competency learning, personalized learning, defining your why, her latest work, which her book is now out at the time of this publication of this podcast. Um, It wasn't at the time of the recording. But I think this episode is, is really powerful. Actually even more so today than what it would have been back in the fall. As we're dealing with trying to rethink education in terms of what does teaching look like from these situations that we're dealing with? What does learning look like? How do we reshift the focus? Do we need state testing? Do we need face-to-face? How do we actually support educators that they've been asking for help for so long and here we are tasking them with another way of just expecting them to learn how to teach in, in, in a new format? All these types of things. In this particular podcast, the stuff we're talking about, I think, is more relevant than ever before. So while you're listening to this show, please keep that in mind and think of it through the lens that we're all trying to process with the world today. I hope you enjoy this one. It's so good. I can't wait to hear your thoughts and ideas. Take care. Woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs. Talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker. Living on the edge of chaos, born insane. Listening to coffee chugs like happy for the boring. One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born. Here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Hello everyone, how you doing? This is Aaron Maurer, back with another edition on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. We are here with another phenomenal guest, someone who I think many of you have probably used her work in some shape or form, whether you realize it or not, in your educational career. And she's been someone who has been so helpful to me off and on through the years of helping me clarify ideas and new learning and as well as whether it's resources or just a quick little chat through Twitter or things like that. She, she's always been so helpful and I know many of you, uh, once you find out who this guest is, probably have similar stories. So let's dive into it first and, and Barbara, why don't we have you introduce who you are um, and explain what it is you do. You do many things. You've done many things as well. So, I mean, that could probably in and of itself just be the podcast is, you know, go ahead and talk about all your work, but, um, you know, some of the things oh. <laughs> that, that you're working on and, and, and all those great things. Well, thank you, Aaron. Um, I'm Barbara Bray. I, uh, have my own podcast, uh, conversations on learning on my rethinking learning website. And, um, well, where do I start? <laughs> I've, <laughs> I um I have like when you yours is called living on the edge of chaos that's me I <laughs> that's my life chaotic always pushing the limits um pushing my thinking I'm trying to 
figure out ways to help teachers because uh, to me, um, I think it's the most valuable job in the world, but it's also probably the most difficult, especially with all the demands and constraints and barriers. And um, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to spend more time finding the stories. And so what I'm doing now is really spending time to um, visit schools, uh, talk to people. Um, and I'm writing a book called Define Your Why. And basically, it's own the story so you can live and learn on purpose. Because I feel the problem is many of us, uh, we we don't even know what our purpose is other than we know we love kids. That's why we're in education. We know we want to make a difference. That's why we went in. But something happened along the way. There was a lot of barriers and a lot of things that kept challenging us, like test scores, homework, um, kids that maybe don't want to learn and and just so many things. And so when I um, started my work years ago, it was as a coach. And I created a program called My E-Coach. I have a platform and I still have it today and with 20,000 people. And I wanted a place where people could vet, you know, you know, um, not vet, let's say the word, <laughs> say whatever they wanted to say, uh, but also have a place to store resources, be in a course and walk away with all the materials and not feel like, you know, then you go and take a course, you go in and then you leave and then you can have no access again. I wanted them to always have access. So I have people in there. They've been there since I started 20 years ago almost. <laughs> and it's because um, I feel teachers need that kind of support. And I will continue fighting for them and principals and for any educator, even entrepreneurs, anyone out there who believes they can make a difference but also are passionate about their own lives. And that's what's happened. We put too much to energy into trying to fit into the system and not realizing that kids really love you. They want to know about you. And um, when Aaron asked me to be on this, he said, we're going to talk about personalized learning. And I've done a lot on personalized learning. I have two books on that. Um, and, that, and I do a lot of work on competency-based and personalized learning. And I tell you, the thing that's the problem are those buzzwords. <laughs> it's driving people crazy. Teachers are like, I, how do I do it? Isn't that right, Aaron? Yeah. They, how yeah. do I do this? And they go crazy about it. They do, and so, I think, yeah, and, and maybe not to, to interject in there, because I, I'm curious your thoughts as you're collecting stories, and you get to work with so many educators and schools all over the place, you know, because I think what happens is um, these new initiatives happen into the schools every year, you know, come August, here's our here's our new two or three initiatives, um, and everything feels siloed, like the very thing that I think every educator, every administrator, every conference is always about, you know, we have to stop being in silos, but yet... I think as as every year these initiatives, they say they all work together, but yet we we, we hone in 120% into one little buzzword or acronym, and then the next year it's three more buzzwords or acronyms, and then we never gel it. Like, 
like how do you know what what have you seen that that like works through that or maybe some successful success stories because i think that's what confuses the teachers and not that they're not intelligent enough i don't mean confusion to negate the intelligence of the professionals but this idea of like oh my gosh we have this to do and i have this to do and i have this to do and i have this to do and there's never time to process like does it actually all fit in? And it, it, they all feel like separate little, you know, uh, to-do lists that you're doing. And it, and we know it doesn't work. It doesn't work for our kids and it doesn't work for us either. Well, the problem is we're stuck in a system and we still have it. Now, there are pockets of excellence everywhere. There's right. uh, eminent school district in um, uh, Kentucky. And they do amazing work on um, personalizing learning, but starting with the teacher personalizing it for them and developing a project. And they give them time and they give them, you know, that kind of work. But I went to New Zealand and worked in New Zealand. And the K-8 schools are not like what we do here. And what I saw is because there's a wonderful group called Core Ed and I learned about them 15 years ago and started following their work. And one of the things they do in some of the universities, like I worked with the University of Wakato and every and um, Hamilton. And one of the things I found is our system is set up, like you said, siloed. It's by grade level. It's by age level. Um, it's also by subject specific and that's not how we learn right i mean that might be how we learn concepts but our brain doesn't it's not meaningful it's not relevant it doesn't make sense and so there's wonderful work with pbl works used to be the buck institute and they um pull together ways to look at how can we bring all the concepts together and develop it so it makes learning personal and I, I've done projects ever since I started, and I started way in the 80s. I was crazy teacher. I mean, <laughs> really crazy. A lot of the other teachers were like, wow, there's a lot of noise going on in there. I mean, I was teaching, um, this is an example, because we had desks, and we didn't have a lot of technology, and I'm teaching early man to kids in very high poverty schools, and I'm thinking, how are they going to get this? I can show them pictures of the caves. I can show them this. Why don't we make our own caves? So I had them all make their own caves with butcher paper under their desks, and they had to come up with their own hieroglyphics and, you know, whatever, not hieroglyphs, it's, you know, symbols for writing and their own language, and then they had to try to teach it to someone else. Mm. And I had... I mean, some of the kids were like bigger than me, you know, like in, in sixth grade, they were like, <laughs> and they couldn't fit under the desk, but they would, they would, the desk was moving when they were under there and they were loving it. And I thought, this is how I'm going to do it. This is how I'm going to do the rest of the year. And doing that changed my concepts and my perception of learning only because I've always been that way. I'm, I've always been a little different. I mean... <laughs> My family still doesn't get it. <laughs> you know, when you talk about being a STEM teacher, I was the kind when I saw the computers 
first computer, I went, I wonder how that works. So I got it, took it apart, and put it back together again. Hey, there's a key. You actually <laughs> put it back like, together. Most people put take it apart, but then they go, uh, I'm done at this point. You know, so kudos to you for actually putting it back together. <laughs> and that's before, you know, that's when it was DOS and, you know, and I did key punching. I mean, I'm really old. I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> but, um, but for me, I want that type of curiosity for everybody. Yeah. I want you to take things apart. Try to figure out the right way to put it back together the way you want it. And when I was in, um, I, w- I went to a Maori school up on Ruapea Mountain. And the technology teacher had the kids take apart technology, all, you know, old technology, and try to look at how it worked. And then he had them take apps and try to figure out what's the best way to make those work differently. And I'm going, okay, this guy came up with that all on his his own. So I'm thinking, how can we apply that to anything? Yeah. Take the learning apart. It's all about unlearning. We've been learning things that aren't right. We've, I'm starting to look at history. I was teaching lies to kids. I, sorry, I, I'm saying it. No, no. The textbooks were wrong, and I, and then we keep doing that because we we're compliant. Yes. We learned compliancy, right? We and we learned that the only way we're going to get paid is if we follow the rules, and we hate it, and we did it, and we still do it. And poor teachers, it's not fair. Yeah. I, I want them to take one lesson and take it apart. I want them to look, I'm, I'm a Teach SDGs ambassador now, and the SDGs, the UN goals, work with everything. They go across, they, there's no more siloing. You could work with project teams and take one of the goals and some targets and have the kids take it apart. And so I've met um, Darren Elwin, is a principal at South Harrisburg Middle School up in South Dakota. And they, it's a completely personalized learning school where the kids schedule themselves. They have a, a student scheduler hmm. based on, they call it I Choose. And he also presented the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, to the kids and said, you can do a passion project, you can do whatever you want, but you have to find other people to work with. And he had a uh, a partnership with some wonderful people in Norway. And so the kids, there were four, I think four girls, I can't remember now exactly who they were, but they connected with some kids in Norway and in San Diego, and they came up with a way to, to fight plastics in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And it, just imagine... Yeah. These kids are global citizens now. What is wrong with us just sticking in our classroom and siloing? We can help them do that. That's your job and my job and all of our job now, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, and I'm, I'm so glad you brought up the SDGs because it's something that um, I use as, as my platform when I work with so many educators. And actually, I was just working with a school yesterday about, like, how do we create these authentic learning experiences? And, like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to create fake, fake scenarios. Like, the SDGs 
are the world's problems that are looking for solutions. You can connect with people from all over the world, whether they're the same age kids or professionals. Um, you know, I've, I've got my own global project built on STGs. On, on The driving question is, how do we reduce the amount of plastic being consumed by sea turtles? The, the, but, but the bigger thing, the byline of that, the sea turtles has helped to build some empathy with, with, with kids and, and some awareness, but it's, you know, doing local action to create global change. And really what we're trying to look at is plastic pollution. Um, and there's lots of those projects out there, but like, like, like we're wasteful humans. And so, you know, we've got to 45 classrooms uh, as a, this recording and like we've got 18 different countries and it's just going to be incredible what these kids are going to do. And, and, you know, it goes back to what you were saying. We're knocking out science and the social studies and the literacy. Uh, we're knocking out the, the, the STEM and the NGSS and the engineering principles. Like all these things are happening yeah. through one lens. We don't have to go and have these separate little chunks of time and then teachers feeling that burnout, like, oh, my gosh, I have to have something for this, something for this. And, you know, like, it is it, you know. And, and so it's, it's building a lot of that, 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 that awareness piece of just helping them see that these things are out there. Um, I see, like, I mean, my wife's a, an educator, and I watch her. Obviously, I'm biased. I think she's, she's pretty amazing. Um, she teaches eighth-grade algebra. Um, so there in and of itself is a subject that I think you have a lot of kids coming with very – low confidence in in that that subject to begin with um but i watch her the amount of time every year she comes home later and later and has to get to work for the next day earlier and earlier and staying up later and later you know like this window of of work is is she's doing more work than ever um and she just can't sustain. I had that conversation with her just the other night. I'm like, you can't sustain this pace. Like, you, you're not going to make it. Not that you're a strong woman, but you're not going to be able to sustain. And I think a lot of that kind of comes back full circle what you were sharing, which is why they're, it's not that they – I think a lot of educators aren't choosing not to see the world beyond their classrooms. I just think they're they're so – covered in all these things they must do that they don't have time to even even look out the window anymore so to speak you know and that's where i mm -hmm. I, I see like how do we start to shift that that narrative a little bit um to help people start to have that opportunity to do so oh i'm sorry to hear about your wife and but she's not alone no so no. i came up with this quote i came up with the quote let me tell you it's okay instead of covering the curriculum let's uncover the learning mm. now Let's think about Algebra 1. Um, how does it apply to the real world? Yeah. How can we make it so it's not just concepts on paper that we're trying to stuff into the kids' heads? Right. Because the problem is, I've seen it with myself when I, I didn't get it. It's <laughs> not an easy concept for a lot of people. Um, so how can we apply it around real-world problems? And, you know, X plus, da, 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 you know, they yep. come up with a good formula or linear equation or something that actually makes sense to kids. Right. Have them come up with it. So I was working with eighth grade math teachers in Washington. Um, and there was a really cool consultant there that came up with a project. And we had to do it as educators. And I was working with all these math teachers, you know, and, and, um, what they decided to do is put a standard and that a group would have to pull out the standard and the answer was 223. <laughs> they had to come up with some authentic problem to using that standard to get to that number. 
Isn't that cool? I like that. Yeah. Yeah. What a yeah. reverse engineering in a very clever way of really uncovering yeah. the learning. Yeah. I love that. It's so cool. <laughs> and you're getting kids together on it. Tell your wife that one because it's kind of a fun way. Yeah. The reason why I loved it was it, it wasn't me coming up or as a teacher coming up with constantly trying to feed them this information they didn't even want. They don't know they want it. Yeah. They don't know. And so if we can tie it into an SDG or NGSS or any of those standards, actually give the kids the standard and an answer and have them come up with the question and then explain, you know, come up with the problem and share it and see how they came up with it. Yeah. And see, the thing is, we need to get the, the learning deeper. And that's, you know, when it comes to competency-based, all of us are different. You put a bunch of kids in the class and you say they're 12 years old. They're not all at 12 years that level, <laughs> right? Right. And so competency-based means that you teach them to work at whatever their level is with other people. And you build on their strengths together. That's what the world is going to need. So the thing that I'm doing in my book is showing out how do you define your why and how do you model that for others. So I'm using tools. I don't know if you ever heard of Ikigai. You ever mm. heard of that? No. Okay. Ikigai, I-K-I-G-A-I, is the Japanese concept for the meaning of life. And it looks like a Venn diagram. And in Japan, there's no world word for retirement. They feel that if you don't have a purpose, you really don't have anything to live for. <laughs> and the problem is with many of our teachers, the purpose is our kids. Right. And we forget that you get tired because you're trying so hard and the kids are giving up and you're giving up and it's not fun anymore. But if you go to the... <laughs> if you have a purpose and you love something and you share it and you share how you failed and you tried again, let's say you're a rock climber, right? You bring that to the class and you share how you use physics and how you use your, your trying things way beyond your comfort zone and you push and you show all the skills you use and you failed a few times and it helped you get better. Just imagine what you're sharing with those kids. Yeah. Just imagine. You see, they need to figure out what their purpose, what they love and their why. And then if their why means they want to be a, a magician or engineer or whatever, or they feel that they want to write a book or they want to do a video or they want to do whatever, they can do it yeah. because they know their purpose. You see, the problem is nothing's purposeful anymore in schools. I don't say nothing, but a lot of things don't mean anything. It's like for a test score. I'll give you an example. I'm not going to tell you the state I worked with. <laughs> I worked with eighth grade social studies teachers. And when they, it was during No Child Left Behind. Okay. So it was some time ago. But, um, and I was working with the region and the teachers figured out that every three years, not everything's on the test. So they don't have to teach everything on the test. Mm. So they decided that that year they didn't have to teach Manifest Destiny. Now let's be real. <laughs> How do you know Western expansion if you don't know Manifest Destiny? So I'm 
I'm trying to figure out the thinking and the teachers, and I'm getting it. They're so held accountable for everything that they can't cover everything. So they're figuring out, well, what can I, what can I let go of? But the problem is that's that's not how you. How can you pull in Western expansion and manifest destiny and don't teach them separately? Right, right, right. Put them all together so they all make sense. You see, and and pull them together. Same with um, the SDGs. If you're talking about plastics, you talked about the turtle yesterday on the news on the Today Show. They put out a turtle yesterday. <laughs> Wait a minute, on the Today Show called Today. They just released it had plastics all over, and and that turtle, uh, she, the turtle, has a um, a monitor on her back so the kids can monitor her. So go to the Today Show. Oh yeah. And monitor this turtle that they released a big. 300 pound oh, oh, turtle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, See, I, need, I need to get that added. <laughs> get, well, not only that, partner with them. Tell yeah. them what you're doing, and the kids could be on the Today Show. Do you understand? Get yeah. out there. Tell your kids that uh, I used to do um, video yearbooks, right? Yep. And I was doing one in 89, 1989. Okay. We had an earthquake. A little big one. I'm living in San Francisco Bay Area. You remember that one? <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty big. Okay. So I, the kids said, why can't we get some footage about the earthquake? And I said, well, let's ask. So I asked the kids to write a letter to what the local station. Next thing, the station gave them the footage. They brought them on the TV. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask. Right. Ask. Yeah, and that's what I like. I mean, I, I and you, you have so many great points when you talk. I'm over here nodding. For those that can see me, they probably we get motion sickness for all the nodding that I'm doing. You know, but like, you know, <laughs> we think about like the sea turtle. So one of the things that we have, I mean, and I'm writing down to make sure I reach out to this this turtle being monitored. Like we have a sea turtle hospital um, who's agreed to. Mm-hmm. Check out all the the project or the the solution that these kids are going to create. They're willing. They're, they're going to give feedback, and the kids can take virtual field trips to this hospital, and they're going to show them these turtles that they're rescuing. They're going to show them the plastic that they have surgically removed. Like this takes it to a level where we're, we're designing empathy, but the kids also then know that like like their ideas matter. Even if it doesn't necessarily maybe be used by the hospital, the fact that someone who does this work for a living is willing to let them know, like, good idea, but here's why, you know, we can't use this. But, like, we lo- like there's going to be this such an incredible exchange when this is all said and done um, that I'm so excited to see how it manifests. And, and, and as I share this with people, they're like, well, how, how did you do this? And it comes back to what you said. Like, I asked them. Like, I literally – I did a virtual field trip with them, and I was like, hey – have this project what do you think like like you're not out anything that's why i tell people you're never out like the worst thing that happens is they say no or they don't respond and you're right where you were to begin with like by asking it you you don't you have everything to gain and nothing to lose and i think that's you know something that's i know it's easier said than done um but you know not all of us are, are are willing to ask or ask for help but i mean there's people out there that that want to do this work they want to see this next generation be successful and you know all those things we talk about whether it's future ready or college and career readiness you know i look at it as you know of all these kids even in this project 
they're going to be able to, if nothing else, see a potential career pathway. Like they're also then going to be able to work with these people. Obviously, we're trying to work with SDGs and plastic and our our role in, in, in life, but also like you know what? If if you really become passionate about this, like this could be a potential career for you. Like I wonder how many kids don't even realize that there's a job in a sea turtle hospital. And there's not just a hospital. There are like tons of these hospitals everywhere that has access to oceans. So I just think like there's, you know, going into all your stuff you're sharing, like there's, there's all these things that are there, you know, and I think sometimes, and I'm curious on your thoughts on this is it's, we have to start to be okay with not being the expert and the, and, and the person that has to know everything, like um, it's it's yes. okay to, you know, let go of. I call it like the content now. It's like I don't have to know anything about sea turtles because I have access to a sea turtle. How, these people are going to this is what they do for a living. Like let them help you and the kids. You know, my job is to use my professional expertise and in, in establishing the learning conditions. You know, um, and I think that that that's hard too because there's right. that pressure. There's a pressure I think that are built in the teachers going. Uh, man, I I can't I I have to act like I know it all. Like I'm gonna get in, I'm gonna get in this quote unquote trouble if I don't know how to do something. Well, I'm I'm just gonna say thank you so much. That's so good. <laughs> I'm sitting there nodding too, nodding, nodding, nodding. Um, the the thing, Aaron, that I found um, is that we don't even realize how our kids are the experts. Mm. Are you watching what's going on around yeah. the world around climate oh, action? Yeah, yeah. and and gun, you know, control and all these things. I think that um, I'm I'm amazed. Yeah. I am in awe. And I I think what's happening now, kids are waking up to say, "Hey, wait a minute, I have a voice," and that's personalized learning. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, I can have choices, and that's personalized learning. The problem is, is that we're afraid to let go, like you were saying. And if we can let go, even if it's just take one project, let them. The one thing in that when I went to, uh, I visited a whole bunch of schools in New Zealand, and they all, many of them had yearly passion projects, not a week, right? a whole year. Wow. They started early kindergarten so the kids if there was something you wanted to learn you got to take time to really investigate it and then you have like a a, a sharing and for some it was like a, in the middle of the year some it was the end of the year and so I, I got done uh, there was year seven kids like seventh grade and I you know the the people that brought me there go oh go there she goes again she's sitting with the kids oh gosh get away well we might as well just sit down and have coffee because she's going to... so I sat with the kids and the, and one I said what is your passion project and she said Greek I want to learn Greek mm. uh, I'd like to go there someday and I know it's going to take me some time and so I put my plan together I went oh, that's wonderful so she showed me her plan. And it was all something she wanted to do, and she she developed mentors. She found people who could help her, found resources, and put them all together. And then I asked another, it was another girl, and she said, I'd like to learn patchwork. And I didn't know what she was talking about, but what is quilting, mm. because her grandmother quilts, and she wants to learn to carry on the tradition. And I thought, there's so many things we don't know about our kids. So someone shared this with me, and um, and it, and this is why I say the stories matter. Uh, they they 
before the year started, or no, after the year started, they put all the names of the kids up on a wall and they gave the teachers dots okay. and said, put dots next to the kids that you usually talk to. Mm. Right. And they all got like 10 dots or something. And this is like a 400 kids or whatever. And no, there were like half the kids no one had ever talked to. Oh boy. Wow. You see what I mean? It's like, if we don't build those relationships, that's personalized learning. It's yeah. the relationships. It's the culture. And we are forgetting that kids really only learn from people who care about them. Yeah. It is a sense of belonging. If you don't take the time to get to know those kids. And and I'm going into high schools. There's one in city neighborhoods It's in Baltimore. Every kid has an is part of an advisory. And so there's no homeroom. It's an advisory. And there's a separate place where they keep all their stuff. And then they have somebody who knows them for four years and carries with them four years. High school's the toughest. Well, middle school and high school are tough. Because all of a sudden, everything's subject specific. Yeah. And you're all over the place. And, you know, that. High schools have to change. Right. Middle schools have to change. And they are starting, but then they go back. They right. go back to separate 45, 50 minutes. What can you do in that time? You can't. You right. really can't. So they've got to really look at um, places. There are private schools like Envisions and others um, where they, in fact, Elliot Washer wrote a wonderful book called Leave to Learn. We're not learning in school. We're just following orders and being compliant so we can get through school, many of the kids. And that's how I was. And that's yeah. why I wanted to change everything. And uh, my family thinks I'm crazy <laughs> because I've never stopped. I, I, and, and you know what? We've gone forward and two, we've gone one step forward, three steps back. Keep, keep going back. And we keep pushing the stupid tests that don't matter. One day we do a test and that's supposed to tell every kid what they uh, and yeah. and I think New Hampshire I'm doing a lot of work with Rose Colby right now um, around competency based and personalized learning we do workshops together um, we're going to be at Ina call again this will be our third time and she did a whole bunch of work on competency based um, but it's still not that easy in fact I started in Iowa <laughs> <laughs> Long ago, I I did some work there in AEA 11 and tried to push competency-based then, and they were they were doing it, and you you didn't even follow. You weren't like everyone else in the country. You were doing your own thing, right? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've you actually been the leaders <laughs> on a lot of things. So um, it's just that the darn system has been this way for so long, it's hard to shake it. Yeah, it is, and that's like, and this is where it's something that's like actually I've been working on this blog post piece, and I don't know if it'll ever come out because I, I I struggle with formulating the ideas. But I mean, I now have we've got three children. I have one that's a freshman. My son's a freshman. I have a, a daughter in middle school and a daughter in elementary. So we're we're now at this point where we've had you know our kids, our older kids go through most of the systems, and now we've got them at all three, and 
we now have to start to slowly think about one processing high school, which is a whole different monster. Um, I don't mean monster in a bad way. It's just different than middle and it's way different than elementary as all Mm -hmm. levels should be to some degree, I think. And I have this like mental battle in my brain uh, when I watch what um, my son's doing for his classwork and homework. And, and it's no, there's no judgment on the teacher. I think it's, it's they're, they're, they're cogs in this bigger system of, of education. Um, but I struggle because there's this educator side of me and who thinks just like you and many other people, like it's, it's time to disrupt. Like we know these things. Why are we not doing it? Like you just want to like shake the system and like come up, wake up. Like we sit and talk to talk. We got, we're not walking it, you know, like the SDGs and collaboration and competence and all these things that we know, we know that it works with learning. But then I sit there and I look at, the stuff that my son's doing and I know like in, in, in three months, he's not going to remember any of it. Um, it's the game of education, but then knowing that the, the reason they're doing that is because he has to get ready for his AP honor classes, which are very much a regimented machine, right? You have to get through 18 million things in a very short amount of time. Cause that's the game you have to play in order to get into the universities in which the universities are going to be the exact same way. And so like I, I struggle, I guess where I'm going with this is like, there's this parent side of me that goes, yeah, I don't like it, but you better learn how to play this game because this is your career. This is this or not your career. This is your education for the next four to eight years of high school and then college and whatever you pursue. And then there's my educator hat that is, is screaming going, this doesn't work. Like it's like, this is not like they're not getting engaged in the process. They're just learning how to play the game. And like, Mm -hmm. I I struggle with all that. And I know that like shaking it up and all the things that that we're talking about and and the work that you do, kids will be just fine in, in, in in college and doing that work. Like they don't need to learn how to memorize a hundred terms to be successful in college. But it's like, you can build those, but if you get that practice, you're going to figure it out. Like, you know, like, so I'm always like, I'm in this like mental war in my head, um, depending on, on, on what hat I wear. And I, that's what I find frustrating. Like at the end of the day, he's going to have to continue to play this game no matter what shifts, like say tomorrow, everything shifts in, in the K-12 education where my kids go to school and they do all this. They're still going to have to go on into college. And I know that college is everything, uh, you know, but that's the trajectory of what they want to do in their lives. They're going to have to have a a piece of paper that shows that. And it drives me bananas. It drives me bananas. I'm in a college course right now. I'm I'm taking a methods course um, teaching me how to teach. Like, why can't I test out of that? I mean, I know why. They want want my money. (laughs) But why can't I just write you a check? Let me take the pretest. Let me pass. And let's be done. Like, I don't... It sounds airy, but like I don't need this course. I need the other courses yeah. that I need, but this one is a wait. But like, I have to jump through these hoops, and that drives me bananas. And I'm saying that mildly. There's other words I would use if this wasn't being recorded, you know. So it's, it's a long-winded rant. Yeah, yeah, I know it's a long-winded rant. But I mean, I'm just you know. But I think there's this, and I think this is what teachers deal with. This is what students deal yeah. with. Like, mm-hmm. and it's like. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been there. I've been there. Yeah. I, I've been kind where I was in a master's program and uh, I also was teaching at the school, uh, <laughs> at this university. And they said I had to take my course. I said, well, I'm teaching the course. That trumps me. That trumps it all right there. <laughs> and I had, I said, 
can I challenge this since I'm teaching the da 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 course? I mean, I was like really bad. Oh, I was so, my. so I'm just saying the system is really messed up when it comes to why can't we change some things? Well, let me just tell you, the world is changing. Right. Employers are not even looking at college degrees as much now. They're looking, instead of MBAs, they're looking at MFAs. Mm. They're starting to look at um, credentials, yep. or, you know, like people that are doing certificates. Um, I'll just give you an idea of someone, I know I can't mention who it is, who, who has a job as director of privacy and compliance who never went to college. Mm. That person has got all the certificates and is showing that. So we're looking at little, like with Digital Promise, I'm an assessor for yep. Digital Promise for the micro-credentials. Okay. And so what if we look at different ways of uh, assessment and look at ways of challenging what you know? You should be able to do that in K-12 too. Right. If you know something then what, why can't I challenge this instead of sitting through a stupid test that I know I can do well on? And why can't I challenge sitting here and give me something that challenges me? So uh, I don't know if MIT did this, but MIT was looking at take, changing the curriculum so there'd be 12 challenges to do for your degree. Hmm. You see what I mean? Yeah, if yeah. we could look at ways that we could change school k-20 let's really rethink it i've been wanting i've been wanting to start my own school i don't know how (laughs) yeah but the problem is is that i'm at an age now where i can just give ideas and and do all of those things but and i've worked with companies and i've worked with i've worked at all levels um, they don't always listen to me. I don't know why. I mean, you know, but they need but to be shaken too. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, is that our kids are—they're getting angry. They are. They're getting angry because they're starting to get so much smarter than us because they have the—they have tools. They have YouTube. They have everything, and they also have each other. We didn't have each other. We didn't have those tools where we could text and talk to each other that way. Yes. So we, they could talk to people globally, and they're looking at the world, and they're going, wait a minute. We don't have to do it this way. Now, why aren't we looking at them being part of the decision-making? Why aren't they on school boards? Why aren't they running for Congress or, or, or uh, you know, interns and bring them in? We got to get our voices and they are. I mean, they're all over right. now. The problem is, is that I don't know if our adults are waking up. I don't know if the right people are getting it that they're going to be voting pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I and think kids are going to make a difference. Yeah. And, but, and I see it. I mean, the voting, I think that's where it's going to go. And I think it comes back to something that you've now reiterated many times. Like the kids they know their why like you know Greta she knows her why and um mm-hmm. and and no one can can argue that she doesn't have a purpose to the work that she's doing you know and and she's a kid not just a kid but she's and a kid David Hogg and yes Stella the, and... yes it, the but, list goes on, but not, on. Every kid, not every kid is there so we know that we I mean these are people that were um something happened to them that changed their lives. Now we need to give opportunities to kids 
so they can at least see these opportunities. If we constantly just stand in front of the room and feed their brains stuff they don't need, they and the parents aren't even aware that they should change. The kids, some people still want to teach the same old way they learned and think that's okay because that's all they know. Right. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not, I don't want to put anybody down because no. they really work hard. And I don't want to say anything bad about parents because I'm a parent and a grandparent. And I can tell you that's the hardest job ever. Yeah. Um, but I wish I had had help. Yeah. I wish when I was raising my kids, I knew a little bit more because I was in a bubble. I didn't understand a lot. I grew up in outside of Washington, D.C. when there was a civil rights I didn't. I even went to Martin Luther King's speech. Mm. I was there. I have a <laughs> speech way in the back, not realizing the importance of it. Right. I didn't know because I went there as part of the school. You know, they had us there. And what I'm thinking is, what are those moments in your life that wake you up? What are those moments? Is it something someone said? Is it something you read? Is it something you saw, or something that happened that wakes you up? What is that that turns into your purpose and your why? You see? Yeah. And I we like that. Have- yeah. You know, and, and and if we come back to like that why of, of for like, like the student voices and, and, you know, just like you said, as that disclaimer, we're not, we're not asking every kid to be the next, you know, Greta that's going to challenge the UN and that type of thing. Because but we look at your local lens and this is something that, that I see um, when I get to just be in the classroom or think back to my own classroom days and, and now realize I missed warning, not warning signs, but like kids were speaking to me in ways that weren't verbal. You know, like mm-hmm. the kids, kids know that this, the systems aren't working for them. And I think what happens, you're, you're starting to see like increases in behavior. You're starting to see increases in, in disengagement. And it's not always because it's the kids are wrong. Like they're trying to tell you in a ways that in, in at ages and when not every kid can verbally express how they're feeling, but they're letting you know, like, and I just think like, as opposed to saying like kids these days, you know, it's not that like, when's the last time we actually brought them together and talked to them? Like, like what's not working and, and work as a partnership as opposed to like us versus mm-hmm. them. Now I'm not saying that's easy. I know the teachers that you got classes of 30, eight periods a day. I, I get that there's lots of logistics in there, but I think kids are, are, they're more vocal. They're not fearful of adults. Like, you know, like for me, I was, I would never have challenged an adult in my life, not just because one, cause that was, it was, that's how I was taught and raised. But secondly, um, you know, I didn't want to deal with the wrath of my mom and dad. If that went back and found out that their son, you know, was challenging authority. And I think kids now don't have that fear. I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a good thing, but I think it's, they have an opportunity that they're, they're expressing to us. They need, they need something. And I think how do we work together yeah. to make that, make that happen? Aaron, I'm, I- only issue about that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that kids are like that, but they learn the system and realize no one's ever going to listen. So they stop asking. Yes. And that's where the engagement goes down. That's mm. like the Gallup poll. You know, point. the engagement yeah. goes down. So the problem is, is we need to work with the teachers, uh, administrators and everyone to try to look at why not? Why aren't we giving them these opportunities? And and I'll give you an example. I think it's Howard County up in North Dakota, I think. I can't remember which school district it was. 
But the town was dying. There was no work there. So the school was losing people, and they were also looking at what are we going to do because there's no work here. And so the kids came up with an idea. What if you let us design the curriculum about where we have to find work for the community because we know we would like a bowling alley, we would like a um, this and that, and we'll be the ones that run the city yeah, yeah. to get our school back. <laughs> See, what if we come up with real local problems that are also global problems maybe, but well, let's look at what is it we can do where we let go and ask the kids, what would you do? Yeah. Hey, what if what if there's no such thing as school? What would it look like? Hmm. Give right. them those questions. Yeah. And yeah, ask them, what's your hope? You know, what's your hope for your life? What's your hope for the school? What do you want to do here? You see, the problem is we've been doing it so long, we think this is the way it should be, and it's not anymore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I would extend that even to – what are we doing for our educators as well? You know, I know there's there's always this this yeah. pressure for the teachers to figure this out, figure out how to meet their needs and create the personalization and differentiation and, and allow them to have their voice and choice and agency. But yet we don't do the same thing to the very professionals that we expect that of. And so like sometimes I, mm-hmm. I, I say this and it always leads to, to different insights, but I'm always like, you know, in order to be a, a, a student first classroom, it has to be teacher first Um, um I'm now drawing a blank. Teacher first, uh, prepared. The idea being like, what are we doing to help our educators feel prepared to then lead that charge back in their classroom? You know, and I think so many times, like you think about PD or you think about the structures, it's everybody comes mm-hmm. together, everybody gets one thing, whether you do yeah. that or not. And then, but, but, but at the same time, go back to your classrooms and please differentiate for every single kid's need and, and be innovative. <laughs> you know, like it's, we're not doing the same thing to, to, to support them. I think that, you know, you get into yeah. social, emotional and the mindset, you know, like I think people just start to shut down because it's like crazy, you know? And so I think well, there's two yeah. layers to that, that stuff, which I think is, is important for it to work. That's why I wrote my, I'm writing my book. It's almost done <laughs> to find your wife for, and it's mostly for educators because I, um, I hear this and I don't, I couldn't do their job now. Right. I mean, I'm looking at what they're doing and I'm thinking, man, and you don't even get paid enough. <laughs> Whoa, come on, let's figure this out. So I said, we got to get you back on track. We got to figure out what's make what's your life all about, and so I put together ideas and I tried this with a you know I've been working on this for three years. I did presentations on this at South by Southwest EDU, and people were like, "Oh my God, that's the icky guy lady. We got to go talk to her. Whoa, this is so cool!" So people were telling me, "You got to do more. You got to do more." So I've been doing this, and and I said, well, "You know, I got to take these activities, pull them together, got to take my stories." And I got 22 stories from different people that are on my podcast. And I I just feel like I, I this is big. Yeah. Our poor teachers, we can't do this anymore. We can't. And they can't even afford to live here in the Bay Area. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. We got to do something now or we're going to lose these really, really amazing people. And we got to make it so it's it really helps feed their soul, too. Yeah. And we got to figure out. And yeah, PD, I get asked, luckily, I'm so lucky. <laughs> I get asked to come for a day. I said, thank you. That's going to really make a big 
difference. Um, so I'd be willing to open up, you know, other things and give them resources and do things along. And it still doesn't work because they need it done all the time, every day with everyone. And there has to be a way to make this work. Right. I'll still come out. I don't mind. I love doing, I love working with teachers, but it's got to be a systemic. It's got to be something that that whole idea of changing. So people are bringing me in for keynotes now because they said, well, that's the only time, you know, you can really make a difference up there. On, <laughs> I said, all right. Because I feel like it doesn't matter. If I can do whatever I can, I'll do it. Right. And like you, Aaron, you're doing a lot. And I, I'm so glad you reached out to me. This has been wonderful. No, yeah, it's been great. And, you know, I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I act, I have the luxury where I can, I'm actually able to do some follow up for the schools that that need that. You know, I can continue to come out and, you know, and but just even for you, the work that you do, yeah, it can't be done in a, in a in one keynote or you know one one <laughs> workshop. But it's a catalyst because there's so many people that haven't heard this message or need to hear it again um, to be reminded of, of of you know why we do this work. And I think. You know, like you said, clear at the very beginning of the podcast, you know, we know that we want to make a difference for kids, but really kind of narrowing down to that why um, and really, yeah, I think, going back to that, breaking it down. What does that mean for me as, you know, as, as Mr. Maurer in the classroom, so to speak? And, and I think that allows people to kind of reset their perspectives and their goals. And then I think it, it, it does allow itself to then to start to move into action because, you know, the, the bigger why of, you know, we want kids to be successful. Uh, it's great. No, no one's going to argue that, but what does that even look like and mean? And so I think the work you do and, 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 and the book that comes out, I can't wait for that to, to come out and, and check that out because I think it, those, those are things that, you know, sometimes we just got to hit the, the reset button and no one's going to do it for us, but we can all do it collectively. You know, I, I always joke, you know, if every educator joined force and, and, and made it, made a stance, if every teacher held hands across the nation and the world and said, we're not doing standardized tests. You know what? It, it would be done tomorrow. Like it would, it would, it would be wiped out. Like you like, I think at the same time, as much as we feel our voices aren't heard and there's all the things that people are dealing with, like we also are incredibly powerful if we could just figure out how to uh, come together, you know, and say, this is how it's going to be. And I think you couldn't stop that force. Let's start a movement. <laughs> I like Let's it. Let's get out there. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, but it's, you know, I, I truly believe that. I'm like, man, like we know what our kids need. You know, sometimes we feel like our, our hands are tied and maybe we, 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 we've lost our, our way here and there. But deep down in our core, if we can peel back all the layers that have been peeled onto why we came in education, like, you can't stop that. You can't stop that movement, you know? And so it's, it's just continuing to share the message and, and hearing from people like you that are, that, that are doing amazing things to support those educators. Well, Aaron, you just made my day. Thank you so much. <laughs> this has been wonderful. Uh, yes, I, yes. I, you know, to talk to like-minded people who who are changing yeah. the world and some, and so are, and, um, it's just an honor. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's an honor to have you on the show. I mean, it's 
I'm, I'm humbled and honored to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. It's, this has been so exciting when you said yes. I was like, all right, this is going to be so good um, <laughs> as, as we rock through. So so as, as we kind of wrap up here, you know, if, if people want to learn more about you, um, many of the people that listen to this show probably are, are well aware of you. But in case they're not, and this is their first time hearing your message, I know after listening to this, they're going to want to know more. Um, where is the best place for them to learn more about you and your work and, and all that? And, of course, everyone that listens, they know all this stuff will be in the show notes and, and everything that we've mentioned in the show will be there. But um, where, where where can can we send them? Well, my website is Rethinking Learning, but it's at barbarabray.net. It's B-A-R-B-A-R-A-B-R-A-Y. A lot of B's, a lot of A's, a lot of R's. <laughs> <laughs> and then my uh, Twitter handle is bbray 27 and I do a Twitter chat with Shelly Vora every other Monday. Uh, for you, it's at 6 p.m. Uh, Central Time. Okay. And um, we're just out there pushing and trying to come up with ideas. And my book is going to be published, I hope, I hope, I hope, by March. Okay. Um, but, but it's with EduMatch. Yeah. publishing. I love that. I love them. Sarah's wonderful. Yes. Yes. And, and for those two to definitely check out your podcast as well. So if people want to hear these stories and hear from educators that are, are, are trying to find ways to make this stuff work and are making it work. I mean, we'll get the link for, for your podcast as well. Another great podcast to add, add, yeah. add to, to the collection for sure. Good. That's that. It's on my website. There's a little button that a tab at the top says podcast. I have, I'll have 84. I'll have a few more up since then, but it's at 84 right now. I think you know a few of the folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. So, Barbara, thank you so much. This has been amazing. I'm, I'm, I cannot wait to hear the ideas that this has sparked and, and questions and conversations that, that follow. And so uh, continue to do the work that you do, continue to inspire and, 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 and push people to to rethink what's what we need in education. And, uh, you know, just so thankful to have have voices like you that, that, that are not giving up on the cause because we need we need more voices out there, you know, telling the story and, and, and pushing education into the right direction. Oh, thank you. This has been wonderful. <laughs>